welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today on the program, we have Justin Warfield from She Wants Revenge. Uh, this is a really fun chat uh, that Justin and I had. We took a full hour and really dug into it, went deep on She Wants Revenge, uh, some of his older and solo stuff, uh, uh, also some unique experiences that he's had along the way. So much fun that we got into. And uh, and he's he has so many great stories that you know, an hour was barely enough time to uh, to dig into it, but um, but it was a it was a blast. I'll tell you that. So um, I do see this fly that's flying around uh, my head. I do, I'm, you know, but I have to ignore it uh, as you know as our focus right now on the show. So um, all right, uh, let's get let's get into it and kind of uh, what went on for me this past weekend. All right, nope, not going to be able to catch it. It's just going to keep flying around and bugging me. Uh, for those of you that aren't watching on YouTube, you just got to imagine. There's a fly chasing. Um, okay, so uh, I, I got back. I took a four-day weekend, and um, and on Friday went on uh, our annual camping trip uh, with my buddy Joe and our uh, our kids. Right, um, he took his son George, and I brought me and my daughter Fern and Atticus. My daughter Fern and my son Atticus, and my dog Basil. Uh, whew, took a while to get through those names. And uh, and we went up to the coast and went to the place that I've camped now for three years in, in a row. Uh, and this was the second year that Joe's been a part of uh, uh, of the camping trip, but we already booked a trip for next summer. Uh, so excited to go there again. We keep, and every year we get the same exact campsite uh, up on the co uh, coast. So uh, it's, uh, it's a cool experience. We, we really like the campsite. It's close to uh, this little cove as well, where you can um, hop down there and hang and uh, and have a lot of fun. It's, I mean, uh, you just hang out. We do have two campsites right next to each other. We go between the two, make lunches, have some some drinks, you know, go on uh, walks, let the kids find other kids to play with, that sort of thing, right? So, uh, so we were just uh, we were, we go up as families. Now it's a family tradition for Joe's family and uh, and mine, and. Uh, last year, there were some incidents that uh, were memorable, and there's, it's a surprise that we went back this year, I'll say. Uh, you know, my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend, uh, flipped out while we were camping, um, flipped out of my daughter while we were camping at the end of our camping trip last year. Uh, and then she uh, um, went home and, you know, really never to be seen from again shortly after that. Uh, and uh, my, my buddy Joe and his wife uh, got to... Uh, see you know some of the challenges there I won't get into that too deep uh, because that's history at this point um, I moved on and I'm in a good place uh, right now and and you know we still do the camping trip and have fun and get away for a couple of days together Joe's wife opted to take a couple of days for herself uh, this time and uh, and so we just went out with uh, without her we had it booked already and uh, and they're going to Hawaii the, the next day after we got back from the camping trip at, which is right now they're in the air uh, on their way to uh, Hawaii. So uh, I'm actually watching their dog Gus uh, while they are gone. So we're really close it, and we had a really great time uh, on, the, on the camping trip. Um, let's see if I can pull out one experience from the camping trip because I'll probably break this story into, uh, into two little, little parts. So um, I'll break it into the kids, kids part, right? Um, I'll talk about the kids a little bit in this, uh, in this segment. So the, um, you know, my kids, uh, you know, had a lot of fun with their friend George uh, that they've known, you know, for uh, forever. But they we we sent them off to find some other kids, and there was this kid named Tristan uh, 
that uh, was on the campsite. It's uh, about two years younger than my daughter and two years older than my son. So right there in the middle. Uh, and, uh, and he pretty much hung out with us, you know, most of the weekend for, uh, you know, off and on. I mean, he was there more than he wasn't, I'd say, uh, but he entertained the kids and they had, uh, fun and he, he lives with his grandparents part-time and, uh, and so didn't get a chance to see a lot of kids really. So they were excited, uh, to, for their grandson to be, you know, to find these other kids and be able to hang with them. And, uh, and we invited you know, grandpa to, you know, hang with us uh, at our campsite also, um, gave him, you know, a couple beers also, and he gave us some firewood for the next, uh, for the next day also, so we could have more of a fire than the day before. Um, we had anticipated the campground having firewood that we could buy, and they didn't, so uh, Joe had, had to go into town to, uh, to buy some firewood, and so we had limited supply, and so it was cool of the grandpa to, to share his, uh, his firewood, and and yeah, I mean, really, the kids had a great time going down to the beach, uh, you know, playing on the beach. There was a, a seal, a seal or a sea lion, you know, I just, I can't tell the difference always. But there was uh, one of them creatures uh, that uh, was beached uh, on the beach uh, the first day that we went down. And, and I went down the next morning and we went down a little bit later and it was still there. Uh, but eventually it got free, I guess. Uh, it, a lot of people came to look at it because it didn't look too healthy. Didn't know if it would be okay. But uh, supposedly it got away from, you know, got out and, and swam off is what one, you know, what one family told me. So, um, so good for the, uh, the seal. Um, all right. I don't want to waste too much time in this intro because we've got a full hour with Justin. So uh, let's go ahead and bring in Justin Warfield from uh, She Wants Revenge. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Pretty hectic, doing a lot of, a lot of tour preparation, a lot of moving pieces, but all good, all good. Yeah, It'll get yeah. Done. So, how, uh, so what does that look like for you to kind of pull together a, a tour at this point in the in the game? You've done many, many tours. What do and at this point in you know kind of she wants revenge too. What is what does that look like? Well, it's the first one that I've ever tour managed, as well as you know doing my normal duties as singer, guitar player, sort of you know a little bit you know unofficial music director of the band. I have probably the most experience. And putting together lineups and dealing with everything from like the gear we use and the set. So, you know, obviously Adam and I are, are a real partnership and everything creative we do down the middle and, and split and do together. But, you know, there's certain things that he's more inclined to and certain things for me and having been in live bands for an, an, an insane portion of my <laughs> adult life I mean really honestly going back probably I would guess 27 28 years like having been in that you know putting together bands is is probably like going to the grocery store for most people so that's something I'm inclined towards but um our longtime original drummer Scott Ellis um has pretty much retired from drumming and is just tour managing now, but he was also our tour manager for the majority of the life of the band. I mean, there was a time where we had like a huge crew where everybody had a tech and we were on a bus and we had a tour manager and all that. But like, as things sort of came back from like, you know, 2016 on Scott Ellis was our tour manager and drummer and he's a total whiz and savant at that stuff. 
So I picked up a lot of tricks from him. But as he sort of lovingly said, I love hanging out with you guys on the road and touring and but I just really don't need to play drums anymore. He's done it for longer than I have. Um, I was like, okay, well, not only did I need to find a drummer, but I also had to find a tour manager. And so I became a tour manager. So my brain is, is, is fried on a level that it's hard to even put into words, but it's good, man, because it's super exciting. We're going on the road. That's all that matters. That is, that is, especially after, you know, the year, couple of years that we've had right now where everything's been, been crazy. And, you know, I Sitting know in this chair for two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And have it in planning shows and then having them cancel, you know, oh, thinking you're going to get, uh, get to uh, do the shows and then having to uh, let the fans know hey, this, this can't happen. Oh. You know, and It's painful, it right? Brutal. It was so brutal. It's like so many like, Hey, we're doing it. No, we're not. Then, you know, stepping away from She Wants Revenge to focus on my own stuff, which I didn't know what it was going to become, but it became this project, you know, Warfield, um, which is now a band that I have concurrently with She Wants Revenge. At the time, stepping away to do that and then saying, okay, well, hey, wow, I was sitting here in this chair in this room in the studio with all this gear and quarantine and I made a record. And now I want to tour it. And people were like, we're into it. Let's go. And then I would book and then it's like, oh, COVID and venues are it's devastating it's a real perfect storm it's like when it rains it pours sort of like so you not only did you have all the venues that i've developed relationships with over the course of what is it 16 years of the history of she wants revenge for 16 years i've been touring these places and not only do i have favorite cities favorite like fan bases who have been stuck with us through thick and thin not only do I have venues that I'm more comfortable in, um, but also, or we're more comfortable in, but I also have relationships with the bookers or relationships with the owner or relationships with the sound person. Like there's people, there's, I mean, think about that. If you do anything for 16 years and you're touring and you're hitting that place once a year, unless you take some time off from the band, what really struck me when it all happened is I started like reaching out and inquiring, like, are these venues going to make it? Are they going to be okay? Are they going to still have gigs? Like, are they going to still own their buildings? Like yeah. lose their leases? So it was sort of the weird mix of me going like, I really want to play shows, but oh my God, like these people, like their PPP ran out and they don't have any money to pay me to come with my new band Warfield or they have money, but it's not, you know, I mean, it's like, how can I like be, tripping out about how low um the touring money just everything changed it's like so i don't know not to get too into the weeds but it's crazy it's like it's weird now being at this age where watching the financial crisis of 2008 watching the you know craziness from that started in 2016 in the country sort of leading up to like okay now there's like not to get too political but from 2016 to 2020 the country underwent so many changes and so much chaos and then it was like on top of it all here's the cherry and it's a once in a hundred year global pandemic for everyone to recalibrate their lives and their incomes and it's devastating so for me like you gotta yeah, think would, about you and your kid you know and everything right your family but you also have these other people that you're you feel kind of allegiance uh, and responsible for right yeah, I would be like, dude, I want to come play this show. And then I'd be like, that venue's not there anymore. And I'd be devastated because those are people's lives and livelihoods. And it's not, you know, some people take jobs, like musicians included, who 
they're doing it because they love it and they can make a lot more money if they're in a different sector, right? And so the people who own these clubs or who, you know, are barbacks or who are sound engineers at these clubs, like they're not getting rich. They're doing this because they love what they're doing and for passion. And they said, hey, if you can do what you love and get paid for it, that's the dream. And so for people to lose those dreams was not lost on me and it was very heavy. So one of the things that I'm really excited about is as I'm reaching out to these people as a tour manager and getting ready to embark on the tour as a musician, is that I get to go to those same places and play music with my best friends for play for places that um, are appreciative and for audiences that are appreciative and for, for venues that are just happy to have their doors open. It's pretty, pretty big stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and so, I mean, tell me about the status of Warfield and, uh, and your album, you know, I mean, I read that it was, you, know, you were going to release it more widely in spring, um, you know, what, I mean, with things moving towards She Wants Revenge, what does that look like? Yeah, so, well, you know, with the original plan was like, I made this record, I didn't anticipate to make a record, we we're making a She Wants Revenge. Um, we were making a She Wants Revenge record. The world changed. A lot of stuff happened, you know, that's, you know, both, you know, macro and micro, both personal and and just sort of feelings about what I want to do with my life, sort of like literally sitting in the same chair and going, Whoa. I know I want to make music. It's one of those, I guess, like it's the hardest thing to convey to people is some people be like, you have a band. You're so fortunate. Why would you ever step away from that? But one of the things is like a lot of people snap into automaticity. Where are we going to eat dinner? What are we going to do? Am I going to drive the same route to work today? Like you sort of get in patterns and sometimes you never stop and ask yourself, is this the right road to take? Or is this actually what I want to eat for dinner? Or is this what I want to do with my life? And there's many times where I've said, I've spent so much of my life since I was 16 years old making music professionally that I wanted to try other things because you only get so much time and so I've been so fortunate in music and I had a complete life in music before she wants revenge I don't measure it in success records sold amount of tickets sold for concerts you know gold records yeah. or anything I go I had great success and lived a full life she wants revenge kind of always felt like a bonus round for me so I was like literally my third record deal and I was over 30 years old and sort of late to the game. And so when 2020 hit and I'm like, what, 47, 48 years old and I have a family and I've spent four years on a reunion tour that was great with She Wants Revenge. But I also had things like I had a film in development for five years and I directed and wrote a short film and I started doing a lot of other projects. And I was like, I was working for other people in the A&R and like music side. And I was like, what do I really want to do? Warfield came about simply because I, when I stopped working on the She Wants Revenge record, that I wasn't finding the inspiration. I didn't know how to sing or write the lyrics or come from the point of view of a 47, 48 year old guy sitting in a studio trying to write songs to these great pieces of music that Adam and I come up with. I just couldn't find my way into a new She Wants Revenge record that didn't sound like I was repeating myself and I just was not really super inspired. And that's one of the parts that no one ever talked about. They say, oh, what are these factors that made you not want to do She Wants Revenge and quit the band? And it's like, sometimes I think we're a little bit dramatic as a band with like indefinite hiatus and, and hiatuses and 
reunions and breakups, but like, that's just life when you have a relationship with someone for six years and your own relationship to your art and craft, your own relationship to where this falls in the timeline of my music. So all that to say, I did the Warfield record and I was like, whoa, this is like my favorite record that I've ever done because I've never made a complete solo record outside of hip hop. I've made solo records, even I had producers, I had other people. I've made the Dream Club record with a number of musicians. I made One Inch Punch with my childhood best friend, Gianni Garofalo. I've had a band called Tape that did three EPs as a democracy. I did She Wants Revenge records as a partnership. I've done countless demos and songs and singles and all these things. I've never sat in a room with the abilities that I have now as a songwriter, as a multi-instrumentalist, as a producer, with the wherewithal and experience I have let alone to find the inspiration of, oh my God, we're witnessing the fall of democracy while there's a global pandemic and it seems like the world's on fire and my city's literally on fire. I was like, I've got to write something about this. So I ended up making a record and I was like, this has to come out because it's so timely. And then I was like, life happens, man. And like, it didn't come out and it didn't come out. And then I, I did a, a live concert streaming and people really enjoyed it. And I started to do like a subscription service to my website in order to have hardcore fans support this. I was able to get the record mastered and it's all very grassroots. And now I'm like, in that time in the last year when I was gonna release my record, I started working for Downright as, you know, as the vice president of AR and then working a lot in label services and doing other things in, in, in the music industry space that taught, that I just really, I don't want to say taught me, but like really showed me what it takes to release a record independently in this era. And so yeah. what I, what I, the reason why I didn't put out my record is besides what I do with Downright, I also have an independent A&R label services, marketing and, you know, consulting company that does everything from creative direction to music direction for artists who want to get their live show together, who want to put out records um, and find a way to be heard. And how do you get your music heard era? And I was like, oh my God, with all that I know right now, I can't just throw my record at the wall and see if it sticks. So I've been really applying the same diligence that I do to my clients for, the, for releasing records and making sure that they're serviced. I've been applying that same sort of metric to my own stuff. And so I'm assembling the team and the infrastructure to release Warfield in a way that I will be able to tour. I will be able to put out records. I will be able to put out videos. So I really want to honor the record and not just throw it out there because like not to go too on like far on, but like last thing on that point is with the dream club record, we just like threw it out there on Bandcamp and like nobody knew. And then I started touring again with she wants revenge and that reunion in 2016 and it sort of usurped the energy of, of Dream Club. And it, I have a regret there because I wish that people could really hear that with fresh ears because it's a special record to me. So there's no way I'm going to let my new record sort of just be like, hey, it's on TuneCore. Hope you hear it. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's important to kind of have the separate chapters, right? Like you can do this year at Once Revenge Tour, you know, right with them, uh, with that project, and then kind of uh, take some time to dedicate to yourself so you can tour that, so you can get it out there play live shows solo and it doesn't have to be like you only fit into this one box with you know she want, wants revenge you have as you said you have so many other uh creative outlets and uh and, and initiatives that you're driving right well yes and also like I want to have a life and like I want to mm -hmm. go like I'm I mean I get tired of watching every summer pass and going 
how many times did I surf? Like, how many times did I make it to the beach with my family? Like, I want to also like enjoy my life. I'm a total workaholic and like I push myself like an athlete. Like, you know, I have a pretty athletic background and that sort of discipline, like just suck it up and just put, keep your head down and just go. I'm kind of insane with, but at the same time, you have to stop every once in a while and go, it's, it's the, the, it's the ride and journey, not the destination. And I love what I do. So it works out. But having said that, I can also vacillate between super insane overworking and also just like, you know, just stay in like, just like, if you gave me a place to stay with like surf and sun and relaxation for like a month and just turned off all my devices, I, I wouldn't care. Like, I'd be like, whatever, I can turn it off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You could disconnect. That's cool. Um, yeah. I want to ask you about a particular show that you did, uh, which was an Afropunk uh, Bowie tribute back in April. Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell me about that. And, and also kind of your love for Bowie down to, I think naming your son Bowie, right? Well, we named our son Bowie because in the, in the Jewish tradition, a lot of times you name a child with the first initial of a, of a deceased relative. Mm. So um, my middle name is Evan and that was named after um, someone named Ella. So with that in mind, I was like, well, we should name someone, we shouldn't name someone, we should name our son after my grandmother um, who is not alive to see him. And so I was like, maybe we'll go with a B. So we were just like laying in bed talking about names and I had my laptop on my chest and I was had iTunes open and I just started scrolling. And then I had a Bowie playlist very soon after the B started. And I was like, Bowie, and she's like, perfect. And yeah. he's my favorite musician and sort of somebody that I've always had as a, there's lots of sort of musicians that cross genres from you know Lou Reed to Prince and and a number of artists who I admire greatly um but no one ever did it quite like Bowie and he's been my biggest musical influence so the the tribute show started because Norwood Fisher the um you know founding member and bass player of Fishbone um was like somebody that I was introduced to which is weird because I grew up with their records and going to their shows, but I'd never met him. And we were introduced in 2020 or 20, yeah, in 2020 or 21. And just like online, just messaging, messaging. And then he's like, hey, I want you to do this like thing. I was like, okay, cool. And then it grew and it grew. And then the promoter reached out to me and then it grew. And, and then we rehearsed and it was like, oh, wow, this is really cool sitting in and sort of not only paying tribute to Bowie and getting to sing the songs that I wanted to sing that I had grown up singing and that I got to sort of flex a little bit and be like, oh, these are the songs that I know I'll crush, but also being able to like play with guys that like when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, 13 years old, were like guys I was going to their concerts or listening to their records. And so sort of like making music with them was super cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I mean, I, my favorite concert of all time was a Bowie celebration shortly after he died. Uh, Gary Oldman uh, and uh, and a bunch of musicians, like 70 musicians, uh, wow. some who were in Bowie's band, some, you know, everybody who, you know, had a 
uh, huge fandom for Bowie. Uh, absolutely. Right. And it was just an incredible, magical evening. And, uh, so and cool. I was a fan before, but I was a super, you know, I, I became like a super fan after, you know, that evening, which couldn't be. Was really Mike Garson involved with that one? Uh, I don't remember Mike Garson being a part of it. I th uh, it was Scrote put, pulled it together uh, and uh, the, yeah, it became, it was celebrating David Bowie. So, uh, in, oh, cool. uh, yeah, Angelo Moore, right, uh, from Fishbone. He, I mean, he did some of those shows uh, and but that the one that I saw, I don't think he was at. And um, gotcha. yeah, members of tons of different bands and everything. It, like Sting's son, Joe Sumner, uh, was, oh, cool. was there. I interviewed him. Yeah, I got to interview a lot of people for, you know, at that show. And it was just an amazing evening. Where are you based, yeah. by the way? Uh, I'm in uh, the Bay Area, Vacaville. That's uh, between oh, cool. San, yeah, yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so and... Uh, so yeah, that was that was really cool. Um, so uh, just so back on your your solo um, stuff, you you've released one song, which is the story behind how it came, how you released it is pretty yeah. awesome. Um, everything to me, uh, you know, came so naturally as you were kind of uh, hired to write a song for. Yeah, I'll let you tell the story, but it's it's so cool. No, 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 it's cool. I mean besides working for downright like i'm on there as an artist meaning if somebody wanted to for me the the, the coolest thing about downright is like as somebody who is a songwriter like i don't sit down every day and write songs like some songwriters wake up make a cup of tea or coffee write a song i don't operate like that i wait for inspiration to strike or for sort of like having something i have to do like hey like you have to make a record so start writing Inspiration is right. Could be like something pops up and I want to make a beat on this drum machine or I grab a guitar or I do whatever. And I'm like, have an idea. Sometimes inspiration is like, I pick a guitar off the wall and I start playing a thing and I literally write a chorus that years later becomes a chorus for these things. Sometimes it's a snippet and a melody that I hear in my head. I sing into a voice note, right? Or when I was younger was micro cassette recorders. But I'm, I, I need a prompt from somebody outside like hey let's write a song together or hey like let's you have to make a record <laughs> or it's time to make a record or this prompt coming from you know this inspiration thing so with downright what i loved about it was the idea that i had to have a prompt that that forced me to do something that i wanted <laughs> uh, that i love doing right and it's like somebody could reach out and say hey i would love it if you would write a song like this i could say well i don't really want a song like that i don't want to do a song like that and they could say okay no problem or they could say well then do whatever you want or let's talk about it or let's keep it open so as somebody that has written for film and television for years as somebody that has written um so many different things that no one ever heard with somebody was like hey i'm doing a commercial or i'm doing a skateboard film or i'm doing a documentary i need a scene for my movie can you write a song that's sort of like this i've been doing that as a work for hire musician for years because I like the challenge. If, you know, when my friend was the music supervisor, Sons of Anarchy, where Johnny Castro, and he was like, hey, like you should write a song for the show. And I was like, oh my God, it's my favorite show. I'd love to. So like, I was like, what am I gonna write that's gonna fit Sons of Anarchy? And I was literally laying out sunbathing at the beach one day and I was sitting there and I heard, you know, this thing in my head it was like Jesus looking out for you. Is he looking out for me? But no, don't tie it up. The scene. And I was like, 
God, that sounds like the kills meets Johnny Cash. And I was like, that's sick. And I was like, oh my God, I just wrote that. And my, and I was, my eyes were closed and I was laying down. And so I jumped up, I grabbed my phone from the shade. I sang that. The next day I go to the studio. I figured out what I was, what I was hearing in my head. And I did this. And so because he said, hey, we write a song for Sons of Anarchy, I ended up doing something incredibly creative that I never would have. And I got to sing in my own voice in a style that was outside of something I normally do. So with Downright, I put myself out there and I say, hey, I'm available for bespoke custom song commission. The same way that somebody can ask me to sign an autograph, I can, or make a lyric sheet or sign a t-shirt. They can say, write a song just for me. I can say yes or no, or what about? We can find that 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 thing that we both love, and then I can create something. I'm not somebody that puts myself out there like, I'll write your birthday song, I'll write an anniversary song. I just say, if you like what I do, here is a menu of things that scales from quite affordable to quite extravagant based on the amount of time and effort that I put in, right? Other people do things very different. Some people are like, I would love to write the most personal, customized birthday song or comedy or whatever for me as an artist it's very specific so when somebody reached out and said hey would you write a song for my wife's anniversary i was like like saying like happy anniversary like that's not going to happen and when i read the request it was like we come to all your shows we love what you do you're my favorite it's our 25th anniversary here's some stuff about her and i was just really moved and i was like after years of being an artist who had the good fortune of writing songs that connected with people let alone lots of people and having people say your song got me through a rough part your song was our first dance song um your song is tattooed the lyrics here on my arm your song saved my life whatever those things that are very very personal and very powerful and heavy to hear it's the same thing it's based on the same connection it's about making memories with someone it's about how do we make memories together and so normally when i write a song I always tell this to aspiring songwriters or people who are newer to it. They say, well, how can I write a hit song or what's your tip for writing honestly or whatever the questions they ask. And whether they ask a general or a specific question, I always give the same answer. And I say, if you're talking about the journey of a musician, you just have to enjoy the, the journey because you may never get to the destination. So the journey is the whole thing. You have to love what you're doing. And when someone asks me about songwriting, I've always said, you have to like write with intense specificity and honesty and personal to the point to where you think only you're going to understand it maybe because if you write with that kind of specificity and detail that's so real to you i guarantee you it's going to be real to somebody else you just never know how many people it's going to be real to or resonate with or connect with because if somebody tries to write a song with a hit they're probably not writing very emotionally very personally or very specifically and they're going to write in general terms it's rare that you can write a song like it's a beautiful day like bono but he also is somebody that made a living out of writing in the beginning very intense personal love songs and about god and his wife and so that's somebody that knew how to master the specificity. So if he applied that to something more general, it was still going to be one of the best songwriters of all time. So in my experience, when I write a weird song that no one's going to understand, it's usually the one that people love most. And so yeah. whether it's Adam and I writing songs like Tear You Apart and Rachel or Broken Girl, She Will Always Be a Broken Girl, 
or whether it's me writing a song like Bug Powder Dust, which is a rap song that's about like a David Cronenberg adaptation of a William Burroughs novel, like, and a Peter Weller performance. That's so specific. And that's the biggest rap song I ever did. That's insane. Like, and it yeah. was just pop culture references that most people wouldn't get. It was huge in Europe. And most of the references were your American based. So the idea that on downright, I could sit down and somebody say, will you write me a song that's just about my wife, but whatever. I was like, well, I'm going to write it and it'll be for her, but it won't, I don't know if it'll be about her. But then I found myself, I came up with the music very quickly. And then I started writing the lyrics and I messaged a person and I was like, can you tell me more about her? And I realized that I wanted to know more and it, it didn't even matter if I didn't know this person. It's like some of my favorite songs by Lou Reed or the Velvet Underground or like Candy Says, Stephanie Says, J you know, Sweet Jane and these songs that are about somebody else. Like most of Lou Reed's songs were about things that he saw or witnessed, not necessarily something that happened to him. And I love that you don't know when I write a song, if it's about me, if it's about my wife, if it's about a relationship from 20. 20 years ago, if it's completely imagined sitting in a coffee house, or if I'm watching somebody in a coffee house and I'm watching their encounter and imagining what their lives are or transcribing what I'm hearing, none of that matters. But when I sat down to write everything to me and this guy said, hey, like she makes up her own words and, and her own phrases, I'm like, well, that's cool. You know, and he's like, yeah, she says, um, ticked and tied. And I'm like, that's an amazing lyric. Like, yeah, ticked and tied. She fixes me well. She loves me all the time. Like, maybe that's something that, I mean, I just don't think I'm coming up with that line. Like yeah. the half, second half, yeah, but ticked and tied, I've never heard them, like, that's cool. And so I like cues, I like prompts, I like inspiration. What Downright provides for me is a platform that allows for somebody who's a super fan or a, a, a film producer or a film director or a radio station or a brand or entity or company to say, hey, we love what you do, Justin. Will you write a song for us? And I can go, yeah, and we can collaborate. I can create something that is a memory for them and is meaningful to me, and then I can put it out. And now it's a part of my body of work. So when I play Warfield songs, that's gonna be in the set. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, and as a tie-in uh, to Downright and meeting people that you, are fans of you know overall right uh you recently added uh art alexicus to uh to downright um i interviewed him last week actually and uh and i got to tell him about how in 2000 and 2001 he pulled me on stage at the warfield in san wow. francisco and uh and uh you know and i pulled That's out guitar amazing. picks that i had from those shows and everything you know like uh from my pick collection book and and, and so, I mean, it kind of pulls it all together, but how's, you know, how was working with, uh, with art? Dude, art is, art's a great dude. Art's become a, a good friend. And yeah. one of the great things about Downright is that I got to look at my music community and go, who are the artists who I think would kill at this, could benefit from this, and I want to present the opportunity and sort of gift of this. And so um, my, you know, one of my best friends and former drummer, Scott, who's no longer Wish She Wants Revenge, um, works with art. And I was like, oh man, he either said, man, he'd be perfect for downright, or I said something where it just materialized at the same time, at the, around the same time. And 
we, he connected us. We started talking. I went to his show in LA. I was like, oh my God, like he's got so many tunes that are classic. And we hung out backstage and we we're just like instant buddies. And yeah, having him on the platform is amazing. People are getting to write and collaborate, make songs with him. If you go to his shows right now, when he's on tour at the merch booth, there's like, you could literally like see like a sign that says collaborate on an original song with our Alex Agus and you can QR code scan it and you can like go right to downright and like that's an amazing thing and like I got to make a great friend and like through our conversations it was super funny art was even like when I was thinking about maybe coming back into the world of she wants revenge and realizing that she wants revenge and Warfield could be too concurrent cars that drive on the on the road together um side by side um art was like dude you got you gotta do she wants revenge like <laughs> and there was one day when i was really like kind of made up my mind and i was on my way to go see art and when i sat down with him he was like he mentioned it and i was like that's crazy i was literally in the drive to his place unrelated was like i've got to start playing she wants revenge shows again and when i got there within two minutes of sitting down, he mentioned it. And I was like, this is crazy. So we have a lot of cool connections. He's a great dude. And we have a special project we're working on together right now that I can't announce. It's not a music project, like we're collaborating on music, but something downright related that's very exciting. Ah, oh, that's that's awesome. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. And, uh, and what a yeah. cool tie in, tie into She Wants Revenge, which is, uh, which is coming back. And so Tell me how the conversations with Adam kind of came as you're kind of making this discovery yourself that these two uh, paths can coincide for yourself. Yeah, like, how do I describe this? Like, it was sort of a bit like, Adam and I are really, really close. Sorry, hold on one second. Let me just check something. I just want to make sure. Okay, Adam and I are really close. And I think our history is well documented I think like both I know for me one of my favorite things about if I love a filmmaker if I love a musician if I love a a painter like a graphic designer or whatever I want to know everything about their origin story that's my favorite part of storytelling it's my favorite part of movies is the mythology and the origin story of characters like I could tell you the origin story of the strokes I could tell you the origin story of Tyler the creator I could tell you the origin story of Jane's addiction I'm a real passionate fan of music and I'm not one of those guys who's like nearing 50 and too cool for school. Like I have a magazine that I picked up like at a shop in New York city when nobody outside of New York knew who the strokes were. And I was like, who is this cool looking group of like five handsome kids who look like a proper rock and roll band. And I picked up that magazine and I was like, wow, they're doing garage rock kind of like my band tape. And I was like, they're super cool and they're way younger. And wow. And like, I bought their first single at Aaron Records in LA when it was hard to explain in the new age on the backside, I still have that seven inch. I went to their first show after they got signed in LA at Troubadour, it was sold out. And it was like Spike Jones and like Sofia Coppola and a packed crowd of people cheering before they even took the stage, just when they waved from the dressing room window. The mythology of how that band started, right? To where they are now, is fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me, not only that, because it's fascinating because the music matters to me, right? Just yeah. like Jane's Addiction is probably to me the most important, you know, American rock group, you know, I think Jane's Addiction is the most important group to ever come out of my hometown, which controversial given the Beach Boys and a lot of people came out of LA, but Jane's Addiction yeah. is an important group to me. And I know all about their origin story and I've read books on it. So all that to say, when Adam and I, sort of 
you know, it sounds silly to say, but blew up as she wants revenge. People wanted to know. So our origin story was like well-documented and we had it down pat because it was the truth. We met at a party when I was a kid, he was DJing, blah, blah, blah. It's a really interesting story. And people assumed that like, because we had known each other since I was 14 and he was like 16 or 17, that we had been best friends since we were kids. But we met when, once at a party and then never saw each other for many years. And when we did, we kept running into each other. So yeah, there's an element of like, a, when Harry met Sally, you meet each other through periods in life and then you finally reconnect and that's cute and it makes for good coffee. And that is true. But also like, there's a thing that exists and some people, we became very close when we started making music and we were really different. Whether it was like, we love Depeche Mode. He's like, he's like, oh, I love, you know, Black Celebration. And I'm like, I like Violator. And like, he's like, we're like, we love Prince. And I'm like, I love Around the World in a Day. And he's like, I love Sign of the Times. Like, very rarely did we land on the same thing. And we used to joke about this because like, when I would point out those differences, and there would be times when he would get bummed out because he thought that I was like saying, oh, we don't get along or we don't. But like, I was just pointing out the fact that it was like, in every photograph, I wanted it to be vibrant color. That was like a very specific kind of color palette of color. It was like, I want it to be really colorful low contrast and muted but super colorful and he's like i like black and white that's like contrasty <laughs> and it's like we were so opposite and that's and and just in so many ways are opposites but when you put us together that's what makes the music great adam's capable of making great music on his own i'm capable of making great music on my own adam could never make the kind of music that he makes alone um with me alone and I could probably never make the kind of music that I make with Adam alone. We could both approximate it. We could both be like, we're going to do a record that sounds like she wants revenge, but it's the choices. It's I'm going to pick up this instrument and play this. If nobody's there to say, what about this? Like your choice of saying, what about this is going to be different than Adam's. So those choices, those tastes, all the things I'm talking about actually play a role and making a group because if i want a picture that's color and he wants black and white if i like a guitar line that goes like blah 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 blah, blah and he goes i want to blah 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 and we have a different sense of melody and rhythm and we want that to fall on a different beat that conversation is going to change that thing it's like you can get super deep and look go like like and get i don't know it's just like when you look at like when you really look at like the nature of i was going to get into like atoms and like staring at something and if it's being observed does it change and all that but that's neither here nor there but what i'm saying is as it pertains to the group the magic that happens when we get in a room together and we write whether it's all laughs and we're making records and having lunch together and getting coffee and making inside jokes that only we get from 18 years of working together and then we go to the studio we turn on a drum machine and we make a beat and we play instruments and a she wants revenge song happens the songs that made it so that we have a career now these things out of control tear you apart the fan favorites the rachel's the she will always be a broken girls um the deep cuts all of those songs came about effortlessly as two dudes in a room making music together like i've been listening to some of the stems on like old hard drives look at this like oh wow okay yeah i've been looking at like i mean look at the size of hard drives it's so different now this is like 
it's like oh. it's like i've been digging up stuff for backing tracks so i'm like looking at like the old she wants revenge masters and i pulled them up and i'm like it's so simple and so primitive and something happens when we're a room together that's so special but that sort of thing right that's magic also means that those differences that define who we are as individuals that come together to make something greater than the sum of its parts or the end of sorry the individual con contributions those same differences in personality and style and everything in lifestyles everything have also made for great tension over the years so there's been times where we're like we're best friends and like we're skipping down the road you know high-fiving and there's times where we're like throwing shit at each other and want to kill each other and because we sort of presented something we're a very private band and we've always been very private and because in the dark music world we kind of know that things like there's a mystery to groups like nine inch nails or Bauhaus or um or you know new order or sisters of mercy and even though our musical influences are actually less dark than that i mean it's super funny i think we're probably both more influenced by nine inch nails than we are you know, Sisters of Mercy or some of the darker bands at Bauhaus, even that people compare us to, even though I get it because like, if I like cop a guitar or scratchy sound from Daniel Ash is like a tip of the hat to Daniel, who's a friend and tear you apart, then all of a sudden a generation of kids are like, that sounds cool. And like people who are old like us are like, that's, that's like a nod to Bella Lugosi's dead. And it's like, well, yeah, that's why we tour with Peter Murphy as co-headliners and why we're friends with the group is because we're coming from the same world but all that to right. say Adam and I like the same magic that like helps make that music can also be combative and in the past we didn't always have the best way of dealing with that so going back to the point of what I was just saying is there was times in the past where we liked having mystery and didn't want to be like here's our personal stuff right we don't want to be like hey, let's tell you a lot about us as individuals. We are like, let the band and the imagery and the music videos and the pictures and the music speak for itself. Just like when people ask me what lyrics are about, I'm like, whatever it means you to you. Like and I, yeah. I like that. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say, yeah, you don't like to, to kind of define it because you want it to mean what, what you said, right? What it means to, to each individual person, right? If some if, if Kevin Shields were to print all the lyrics for Loveless, I would like it so that I could cover the songs or like even sitting here in my chair by myself, but I would be a little bummed because I'd be like, that's what he's saying, because the mystery is beautiful and it's ethereal. And like the moment that, you know, everybody knows what Jane says is about, right? Mm -hmm. um, but like, that's not a band that's like shrouded in a mystery in the same way. And so like, Jane says this is a really straight up song, right? And you know, it's about what it's about. When we wrote songs and when we did what we did, we kind of like, we're like, okay, well, you know our origin story, but now there's mystery. And we kind of had a little bit of a, of a veil up. So like people would see us play and like sometimes fans would like, like come up to us wanting an autograph or to say hi or to say thank you or something. They'd find us behind the theater, like in a screaming match. They'd be like, oh, maybe now's a bad time. I'm like, there was a lot of times where that happened. Like, I'm not gonna mm. front, like there was a lot of times where like, everybody like knows this origin story of like, Justin and Adam met a party, best friends in the San Fernando Valley. And then they made records 16 years later, blah, blah, blah. And then they had a hit and then they changed their lives in the world. But yeah, also too, like there is every time somebody came up going, hey, like 
you guys are really awesome. Is now a good time? And I'm like, no, it's not a good time. And we're like screaming at each other behind the club by the trailer of the van. And somebody's like, oh, Jesus. And like that being in a band is a marriage and it's, it's, it's really challenging and it's nobody's individual fault. But there were times where I didn't want to be in the band. And there were times where he didn't want to be in the band. And there were times where the band broke up. So what you call a breakup, what you call a hiatus an indefinite hiatus or that it's all spin. It's all like, and so like, we're at a point now, Adam and I, where we have a way of communicating and dealing with one another in our relationship, in our business relationship, in our creative relationship, and in our friendship. We have a way of communicating now that's very different. Like we didn't have to go like full, like uh, Metallica, some kind of monster. Some kind of monster, out, out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, God forbid, like that's my worst nightmare. But having said that, all that to say, when I came to Adam and said, hey, I wanna start playing She Wants Revenge again, there was some conversations that were really heavy that don't need to be shared. But, and it really could have gone a lot of ways based on what I felt, what he felt, what I wanted and what he wanted. And I'm not sure at first we wanted the same things. I know, let me correct that. I know at first we did not want the same things. Right. And over the course of a month of conversations, we found that we did did or could want the same things and then what we did want the same things and then as we approached how to move forward i said i don't want to be shrouded in mystery i want to be honest if somebody asks i want to be like yeah like sometimes we just can't stand each other and like sometimes we're like like hugging each other and it's like super emo and great and that's real and i think that like being honest about that a lot like let's not be real we're not curing cancer we're not coming up with like a new super booster that will handle all immunity moving forward we're not like figuring out how to fight inflation and we're not figuring out climate change we're just two guys who like making music and we do so in a way that connects with people sufficient to have you want to talk to us and people listen and that's okay but we never take ourselves too seriously. There's nothing worse than a musician who takes themselves too seriously, right? So having said that caveat, we just are like, look, let's just be honest. If people ask, if people have a connection to She Wants Revenge, they deserve to know why we turn the faucet on and turn the faucet off on something that they want to continually flow. Why is something being taken away from them that's not their fault and they didn't contribute to? Why is something in their town playing a show, making a record, and then not? Why is it gone? Why is it appear? And I said to Adam, I want to be really transparent and I don't really care what people think. I want them to know that the first time we split in 2012, it was because we broke up because I quit the band because I didn't want to be in the bands anymore and we wanted to literally beat each other up. And then we got back together in 2016 for various reasons. Some was because Lady Gaga was a super supporter and fan and put our song in American Horror Story and momentum built sufficient to have demand for us to play. 
The other was that it was the 10 year anniversary. And if ever there was a time where we gonna see if we could be backstage in a vehicle and on stage together without throwing shit and to make music for the people that are, that we're, we have the good fortune of wanting to pay and come, that that was the opportunity. So we jumped on the opportunity and we had a great time. It was a hugely successful four year run. I never wanted to make an album because I was not certain that we could overcome the personal things that started popping up immediately when we started the reunion. So while the reunion was creatively and, and, and professionally very successful, all the red flags were still there for me. And Adam wanted to make a record and I was like, nope. Cause I was like, I will rent, but I'm not buying. And that was just, that was just being honest. And like, sometimes I think it must probably suck if you're not the singer because you're a little bit at the whims of the person that has to write the lyrics and say that sing the songs and stands in the middle. And ultimately, even if it's a 50-50 democracy, like she wants revenge, if I decide I don't want to sing on that song, nobody's going to prop me up like Weekend and Bernie's and make me do it. So there is a little bit of an element of somebody who is not going to, someone not always being in the driver's seat by virtue of the instrument that they play, right? And so right. I, try to be, I try to be cognizant of that and respectful with Adam because it's his life too, both his real life and his creative life and his, and his business. Having said that, I was like, I don't want to make a record because I'm not dying to make a record. And I'm not so sure that I want to make this more than a, a side thing. Like I, yeah. had, I had dream club, I was developing films. I have a family that was, you know, living our life. Then there was times where I'd get like, we should make a record. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'd be like, oh, I don't know. So when we finally started to make that record, it was right before, you know, it was right when COVID hit that, that right. sort of that ceased. So we've had a really tumultuous relationship, but there's a lot of love and a lot of respect and there's a great creative partnership there. I needed things to change. He needed things to change. We came to an agreement about those things. We decided to move on. And one thing I realized is, so look, the band broke up twice. Right both times was because I wanted to. And I think that's frustrating for Adam. And I think it's frustrating for, for the fans, but a lot of things went into those decisions. Like, and if people could see those moments that led up to it, it's never what they think it is. Like, no. you know what I mean? It, you're, you're not Liam and Noel over here, right? You know, I mean, there's a lot of you know, intricacies that, you know, you're not making it in, that decision in a minute. I mean, so. Oasis is one of my favorite groups of all all time and that's an interesting thing you said because i've used the reference where i'm like it, it actually was going towards that and i was <laughs> like in 2012 i was like do we really want to be the kind of group that like gets into physical altercations with each other over a falafel or i'm being honest like <laughs> yeah if the, if the band breaks up because of uh you know a dressing room bust up like you need to assess what you're doing with your life at that point because yeah. ultimately what level of toxicity and discomfort you're willing to participate or be in is the question that needs to be asked and I think that because we both have a high pain threshold the answer was quite a bit and then when my limit got reached it was like no and I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about both people participate. Yeah. yeah. And so 
now we're like neither of us have a like we're not young neither of us have a propensity or a desire to be in toxicity or discomfort and the moment it seems like it's coming it's like oh maybe we should take a beat and we also have a new band and new lineup around us with the new energy and you know except for thomas who's been our you know thomas was our good like first guitar player and he was also yeah. in my band tape with me before um you know thomas is still with us and he just switched instruments and so he's the only carryover and then we have two new guys and it's a new energy and i mean adam and i are getting along great we're having so much fun we're so excited to make a new record you know he had an awful fire in the building of his recording studio yeah. that took the life of somebody you know it was his complex not his studio i should say the right, complex yeah. in which his studio was housed had a horrific fire took the life of a cat and a, and a and a young man and it was awful and you know millions of dollars in damage to people's lives affected families just super horrific he's setting up a new studio that we're going to make music in. I'm setting up a new studio. That we're going to make music in. We're just like in a real, you know, saying like, we're not curing cancer. We're not figuring out global warming. We're not Greta Thunberg. You know, we're not like, we, you know, figuring out like how to lower carbon emissions. We're not changing the world. Yeah. Having said that, like life is, the stakes are high these days. Like life is, is really happening and it's in session. And so if we're gonna do this, we just wanna have fun. And we wanna just like, we just wanna make people feel good and we wanna have fun. And like, we're so in touch with the fact that the songs that we're playing on this tour, people are gonna be like, oh my God, they're playing that song. Like, it doesn't mean we're playing, we're not playing songs we don't wanna play, but we're yeah. not stupid. We know when we play that song, we know what people are gonna do. And that's exciting because I know for me, I've seen Pavement, I've seen Sebado, I've seen, I'm sorry, I've seen Pavement, I've seen Dinosaur Jr., I've seen incredible shows, Perfume Genius in the last few months, and it made me want to play live music. And so I'm so excited that people who give a, a shit about what we do are going to be coming to see us. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And and the last shows that you did right before COVID, you, I mean, you did a, uh, This Is Forever in its entirety, right? So, I mean, this is obviously going to be completely different from that, right? Yeah, I'm so sick of the in its entireties. What year would have would um what year did oh I think we missed the year that Valley Heart came out, so we don't have to do the 10 year anniversary of that. That's good COVID saved us. us. Yeah. You know, there's there's something to be said for in, in its entirety, but it's it's gotta have its place in time for sure. And uh, it doesn't have to be every album or anything, right? So yeah. Um then you're I just mean, milking I, it, right? This was one album that I was really excited to see in its entirety. Uh, actually, everything in transit by uh, Jack's Mannequin. Um, and oh, interesting. Yeah, it was it was really good, and uh, you know, an album that was personally very pivotal to uh, to my life. So I, I'm not going to write them off completely, but <laughs> but it's got to have a place in time. Is that you and Grohl behind you? It is. Yeah, and that that That's was a special unmistakable smile. Oh yeah, this is a this is a you know pretty unique cool situ situation because I uh, I got to see him. He came to Napa and did a show to Sound City Studios documentary, and uh, and there were the previews on, and I went to the bathroom beforehand, and he was outside talking to the staff, and so I you know I went out and uh, waited patiently, you know, and he took my phone and took a picture, and then I'm like, what would Dave Grohl do? And uh, and so I sent the picture to my mom to take the CVS and get an eight by ten 
made. And then in the Q and A afterwards, I was the first one to ask a question and got him to sign the picture. Uh, and he's like, dude, that's like an awesome. hour ago, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's that so cool. Pretty, pretty special moment there. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Um, there are just a couple of other things I wanted to hit you with that are not sure ones for Ben specific, but, sure. um, I heard um, in a podcast, which will lead to the, the, the kind of the final question that you were friends with Ernie Reyes Jr. Um, and a childhood best friend, Bay Area. I want, yeah, I want to throw out as a kid, I went to Ernie Reyes West Coast Taekwondo uh, Karate. So I, I met his dad. Where, where, what location, Campbell, where? I, I think it was Santa Clara. Santa Clara. Yeah, yeah. yeah I went I to so. some of their black belt testing and was really involved. Yeah, Ernie's still like I have like five best friends that like I've been friend best friends with since I was a kid. Like that's sort of my world, and he's one of them. And we still stay in touch quite a bit. Um, our kids are the same age. Like I met him when I was like fifteen and couldn't drive, and like he had his license, and we just started everything you can imagine together and living life. And he's the best, and he's my dude, man. Um, I would go to the Bay Area and hang out with his dad and his family and be around West Coast Taekwondo. And when my first sort of rock band broke up, Supernaut, and I started One Inch Punch, it was very much like he had a big influence in that because of all the imagery and like um, everything was sort of based around Bruce Lee and a lot of that stuff. And so he was in the studio with me. He was coming to shows. So that's my guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really awesome. Um, yeah. And I... I heard that on a podcast you were on with about uh, the episodes of Saved by the Bell that you did, uh, yeah. which, which you know, is a whole other conversation. But I just want to know kind of that experience of being in that environment, uh, really, because that obviously is someone um, you know around this age. Like that was a part of my childhood, you know, uh, that show. So, so what's the question? <laughs> I guess what what was it like for you to be uh, just a fly on the wall, an extra in in that show, and uh, um, and get to interact with with that crew. I mean, a quick couple anecdotes. One, Screech was like, "Rest in peace." Dustin was like, mm -hmm. "Yo, are, um, we should hang out sometime." He's like, "Are you into guns?" He's like, "I have like machine guns, and I go shoot them in the desert." And I was like, um, "I'll see you later, Dustin. I'm gonna go down the hall." Um, I kind of avoided Mario Lopez a little bit. He kind of was being, you know, all those when you have like, I grew up with all child actors, right? Like, yeah. and like. And so it was just around me and most of the kids I went to school with were like, I mean, the sort of like the people I went to school with, it's like the class was literally like myself, Corin Nemec, who is in the show Parker Lewis Can't Lose, Soleil Moon Fry, who everyone knows who Punky Brewster is. Um, my friend, Yashi Pearl, who goes by Mickey Avalon, um, who he was in class with us, uh, Seth Benzer, Shifty Shellshock from Crazy Town. Balthazar Getty was my best friend and we made music for years together. Ernie Reyes was my best friend. Um, Mila Jovovich was one of my closest friends and Jenny Lewis from Rilo, Rilo Kiley. Right. Um, and Jenny Lewis, um, I feel like she went to our school. Maybe she didn't, but she definitely like was in our crew. And so like, it was like that. So like being around like Mario Lopez or like Mark Gosler was like, okay, cool. Like that wasn't our scene. Yeah, you know what I mean? mean? Like my friends were the extras. Like one of my friends who's like, an incredibly successful film producer was one of the extras. The guy who is like the star of like Starship Troopers, Casper Van Dien was an extra with us. Like, I remember like whoever, like Elizabeth Berkeley, like 
told like a producer that she thought I was cute and I like wanted to ask her out, but she was actually dating the producer of the show. So um, that was a little bit prohibitive. And then, um, yeah. and then in the end, um, I got kicked off the show because like the director had to keep moving me further and further to the back because he said I didn't blend in enough. And so I went from like sitting with Zach and, and, um, and whatever AC in, in yeah, scenes yeah. to them hiding me in the back. And then they were finally like, you were either going to have to make you a main character or, or kick you off your show. And we're not going to make you a main character. I was like, dude, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. I, I'm here for a hundred bucks a day and, the, the, and the snacks. I was like, I get to just like eat the craft service. And yeah, so that was, uh, that was like, yeah. Well, that's that's really cool. Well, Justin, I want to uh, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I mean, I, and I'm hopeful I can make it out to the uh, the show you have in the Bay Area too. Um, I mean, that seems we like have it's a couple, be... right? Yeah, I think. Are you hitting San Jose too? Is that right? San, San Jose at the Ritz yeah. is yep, and uh, Great American Music Hall, yeah. Okay, I might be able to make the San Jose one work. I think that's on a Sunday. San Jose so. will be great. I love yeah. that venue. Yeah, I've never been there, but I got to Did it used to have a different name? Like, I don't know if, if yeah back. it did actually yeah was it like edge nightclub or something I, I don't make it out to maybe club, okay. it's across it's like on this yeah. main drag across from this like classic old restaurant it's pretty cool okay okay I'm gonna try to make it out to that one so yeah <laughs> um but yeah thanks for the time man this was a lot of fun and uh and yeah. I wish you luck with the tour and with the the writing and everything I mean you, you got so many uh irons in the fire it's uh, you're not slowing down so you know, no I gotta get back to tour managing yeah. now thank you so much this has been a yeah. tremendous interview and I really appreciate it um let's just uh, yeah, yeah please send me a link I can't I can't wait we'll, to check it will do sounds good thanks Justin you have a good one okay take care you too that was my interview with Justin Warfield from She Wants Revenge. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. All right, got just a couple stories to wind us out here uh, on the concert pipeline. Uh, with the first being about Lollapalooza. Metallica was one of the headliners of Lollapalooza. And, um, and so they had the opportunity to jam with uh, Stranger Things actor Joseph Quinn, uh, who, if you've seen the most recent season, he, uh, he rocks a, a Metallica song. We'll get into that a little bit. So the Master of Puppets, they, um, they hung out and jammed backstage with Joseph Quinn, whose ed character Eddie Munson is responsible for the song's uh, renewed popularity. I mean, it's never really gone away, but this really, you know, shot it current, into the current mainstream right now again, right? Because of how metal the scene is with, uh, with Eddie. Uh, so uh, Quinn was on site at the Chicago Fest where Netflix arranged a meetup between Metallica and the actor. Uh, James Hetfield says, I'm a big fan of Stranger Things, have been since uh, season one. Uh, my kids and I, it's a bonding experience for us. Uh, he thanked Quinn, who spent months learning how to play uh, the 1986 song on guitar for doing the track justice. Uh, it's all I was listening to for two years, Quinn told the band. I feel very connected to you guys. Uh, Quinn was then invited to jam in the band's tuning room prior to Metallica headlining set on Thursday uh, with the actor ably holding his own along the twin guitar assault of Hetfield and Kurt Hammett. We'd like to make an announcement. Metallica is now a five-piece band, Lars Ulrich equipped. 
And then Metallica gifted Quinn a BC Rich guitar that resembled the one that his Eddie uh, Munson character uh, used to fend off demons on Stranger Things in a pivotal scene. So, and Quinn, Quinn uh, Ulrich also gave Quinn an all access pass that would allow him to catch Metallica at any of their shows. Wow, okay, so he's got a, he's got a pass to go to any show. That's pretty cool. Uh, and so uh, uh, they also used the scene from Stranger Things in their background during their uh, actual set at Lollapalooza. So they went all in, uh, pretty cool story. Okay, so uh, Tony Hawk is up next. And if you're like, what, uh, Tony Hawk? He's a pro skater, he's not a, a musician. Well, he has a cover band called the 900. Uh, and, uh, and so during a gig at London, London Signature Brew uh, Hagerston on Saturday, Tony Hawk's pro skater cover band, the 900, were joined on stage by skateboarding legend Tony Hawk, who provided vocals for two songs that featured uh, in the game. Uh, on stage, he sang Goldfinger Superman, which is awesome. I love that song. I was actually listening to that song just the other day uh, on, the, uh, on the drive to, uh, to our camping trip. It was really cool. And Bloodstains by Agent Orange, who appeared in the uh, first and fourth uh, pro skater games, respectively. So the 900 explained that Hawk played with the band after spotting them on Instagram. Hawk messaged the band saying he was going to try to make it down to the show uh, while he was in England to which the 900 took the opportunity to ask if he would be up for doing a couple songs with us. Luckily for us and the audience, he said, yes. Uh, Hawk was welcomed on stage by the audience, chanting his name with the 900 describing an amazing reaction to the skateboarding star's appearance. Hawk on vocals, uh, the 900 proceeded to play those two songs, which appear, uh, he absolutely nailed Superman or Bloodstains. It was easily one of the best moments in our lives, shared the band. And you can you see uh, snippets of those videos online, of course. Um, all right, so one more news story, uh, and we'll go back to Lollapalooza uh, here for, uh, for this news story. Uh, there were activists that uh, protested at Lollapalooza 2022 over youth curfew. Uh, uh, on the opening day of Lollapalooza, a group of activists protest the 10 p.m. curfew for young people. The ongoing youth curfew in Chicago means all young people under 18 have to be indoors by 10 p.m. While the city says the curfew is a way to crack down on crime, the activists have said the measure is unconstitutional uh, and say they're ready to take it to court. Okay, I don't think the constitution says anything about a 10 p.m. curfew. So well, if you're gonna take things to court, you might wanna have the right piece of paper behind you to uh, actually try and fight something rather than just like, you know, they're being mean, it's not right, okay? Uh, and as CBS News reported, the group included members of Good Kids Mad City and the Brighton Park Neighborhood Council. Uh, so the order applies to anyone under 18. Attendees of ticketed events like Lollapalooza are exempt, but activists claim it's a loophole that unfairly benefits wealthy tourists and white suburban teens while penalizing those from poorer backgrounds as well as those from black and brown communities. Ooh, okay. So we're getting deep on this. Um, and so a lawyer representing the activists sent a letter to the city asking them to rescind the curfew. The event last week saw uh, J-Hope of BTS headlining the Bud Light Seltzer stage at Lollapalooza, becoming the first South Korean artist to headline a main stage at US festival. So I guess there's, that's still in the works as to whether that's actually going to happen or not. Um, all right, so that is our uh, show for today. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Justin Warfield. I had such a great time chatting with him about She Wants Revenge and so much more. 
Uh, next week on the program, we have Michael MacArthur. Uh, uh, and, uh, and that was a fun interview as well. So you'll get to hear about that on our, on our next program. Uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.